time of Reagan and before the rise of Seagal, Snipes, and Van Damme, there was an age undreamed of. Unto this land came Arnold the Austrian. He was a barbarian, a demigod, a killer robot from the future, and he was destined to wear the crown of Hollywood upon a troubled brow. It is only his chroniclers, Mike Gillis and Casey Doran, who can tell you of his legend. This is his saga. Podcast de la Vista, baby. After more than a year and a half, we're back. And I swear it's actually really us. You can check our eyeballs. <laughs> hey, uh... Coming soon to the future of very soon, Terry Crews will menace you with remote-controlled Dobermans. And and he still would not have aged a day. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we, of course, are talking about, from the year 2000, the movie The Sixth Day, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, directed by Roger Spottiswood, the director who, my God, the variety of this person's Uh, filmography. Terror Train, Turner and Hooch, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, Tomorrow Never Dies. We're talking about Bond movies. We're talking about Sly Stallone comedy movies. It's just all over the place. Excuse board. me, that was an Estelle Getty comedy. <laughs> Co-starring Co-starring Stallone. Stallone. <laughs> and uh, written by the husband and wife team of Cormac and Marianne Wiberly, who wrote I Spy, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, <sighs> National Treasure, National Treasure Book of Secrets, and the spy movie with guinea pigs, G-Force. <laughs> so, a lot of spy stuff in there. And uh, joining us for this episode, and glad to have you in the studio. You've been on other shows before, but your first time on Podcast La Vista. We are talking to the camp director and president of Camp Quest Northwest, Michael Warbington. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. You're the president? I should call you Mr. President from now on. Uh, president of the board of directors, yeah. Oh, nice, nice. We'll, so, ki- we'll kiss the ring later, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, Mike, this is your first time on this show, and we're going to ask you the standard question. Um, what is your history with the movies of Arnold Schwarzenegger, and are you a fan of the guy? Um, I, I would say I am a fan of his. I think he brings something unique to the screen that is um, kind of unmatched among other action stars. Um, uh, my history with Schwarzenegger is I think that I think that Terminator was one of the first R-rated movies I was I got to see as a kid. It was either Terminator or Die Hard, and those were the movies that were like go- so good that they I was allowed to watch them even though they were rated R. Oh, um, and so I've been a fan of his, it, you know, since I started watching movies effectively. And he's not necessarily like the, my number one favorite movie star, but I've always enjoyed his movies quite a bit. Absolutely. And uh, if you had to sum up the plot of this movie, what is The Sixth Day all about? (laughs) Um, The Sixth Day is about your average Joe guy who happens to look like a world-class bodybuilder who's doing a profession that has nothing to do with his uh, incredible uh, physique. Um, And he has an unexplained German accent. Um, living in suburban, somewhere in the suburbs in the United States, um, who has a job that where he flies people 
up to the tops of mountains and leaves them there. <laughs> it sounds like a crime. Which seems like a great gig if you can get it. Yeah. Um, and then and then pilots drones around like a video game, and at some point he's contracted to bring some high high power executive up to the top of a mountain and leave him there, and he ends up switching places with his uh, cohort, his co-pilot, um, his co-owner of this business. That guy is killed, but Arnold is cloned as a replacement, and then he comes home to find his clone living and um, celebrating his birthday with his family and daughter, you know, wife and daughter and cloned dog. And hilarity ensues. Yeah, this is this is an interesting thing. I had never seen this movie before. Had, had any of you guys seen this movie? I had not. No. I saw it on video after it came out in the 2000s, so I didn't see it in theater. But This is a movie that seems to have left zero pop culture footprint. I, I thought it has was... no reputation. It doesn't have a reputation. At the time, I remember thinking it was good. And when I watched it again, I was like, I was really mistaken. I don't hate this movie. No, I don't hate it either. It's but. it's in this gray area in between good and bad. Um, well, the, I mean, the what, <laughs> look at face. Like, what is the what is the first thing to say about it is that it's a that it is a total recall clone. It's total, yeah, about it's, clones. It's totally a clone. Of um, total recall. It it has the thing of like you, Arnold Schwarzenegger is this guy with a workaday life. And then something happens, and he's like, oh my god, oh, there's all this intrigue around me. There's all these corporate assassins, and I need to go to different places. Although in this movie, he doesn't go to too many places. No. Um, and he needs to uh, figure out how to resolve the, save his his old life, or is he going to live an old life or a new life? What's going to happen? But in this, there are actually two Arnolds instead of just one Arnold who sort of shares two personalities because of an implant. I was surprised by that. That The one genuine surprise that I got from this movie is I thought this would be the standard movie where, and we'll just break down the twist right off the bat. The yeah. minute he shows up at the mall and he's in the back of the cab and he's groggy, I'm like, okay, he's the clone. This is where he's first waking up. Got it. So your main character, Arnold, is the clone. Okay. Uh, I thought this movie was going to have the big reveal where at the end, he never ends up meeting face to face with his other self. But after learning he was a clone, he would sacrifice his life to save his other self's family. And this would be yeah. kind of the tale of two cities kind of thing. Right. I thought that's where they were going. I never expected this to be an Arnold Schwarzenegger, Arnold Schwarzenegger team up movie in the third act. And I was... I was moderately amused by that. <laughs> it, it could have been a lot better. It could have been a lot better. I mean, because I think everyone at this time in the, the early aughts, late 90s, was doing the sort of Eddie Murphy style movie where you're playing yourself, teaming up with yourself. I know they did that in Double Impact with JCVD. They, I think Jackie Chan has one where he teams like Twin Jet, Dragons. Jet Li had one where he fights himself. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, was that the one? I think it's called The One. Yeah. yeah, there's a couple of these movies where somebody fights themselves. Then there's every Eddie Murphy movie between like <laughs> 1999 and 2005 where he's playing all the roles. Where it was the point where special effects compositing got, got good enough that you could seamlessly have the actor in the, in the, in the frame twice. Yeah. And do, it, and do it consistently enough to make a whole movie around it, not just have that be a gimmick in one or two scenes. Yeah. Exactly. Like in Back to the Future 2, it's in one scene. In this movie, they can do it constantly. And it's, it's, I don't know. This movie is aggressively okay. 
Can, can goes, we start at the very beginning? Can we okay. start at the very beginning? Because I think that there is it start for me. This movie starts off on an incredibly high point. I mean, look, forget the super on the nose like human cloning is banned. Like after there's a mysterious accident, you know, like okay, well clearly there's going to be human clones. It's the near future sooner than you think. Yes. This movie takes place in my favorite timeline, yeah. time, time period, <laughs> yes. the near future. They don't even bother to give the year. It's just the near future. Well, it's the near future where XFL is the most popular yes. sport. Yes. <laughs> so you know it's that kind of future. Where, where Blockbuster Video is being advertised in the near future. Never so quickly into watching a movie have I so furiously started scribbling notes. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many questions. Um, I, I was trying to look this up in the timeline versus where this was in real life. This movie came out in 2000. The XFL, the original XFL, XFL's only season was in 2001, so they hadn't had any real-life games yet. But they had announced it. Yes. So this movie, and I know Arnold Schwarzenegger has a long-running business relationship with WWF or WWE, and I gotta think that there was some kind of conversations, oh, I can get you in this movie. So in this future, so when they say the sooner than you think, they really just mean next year. (laughs) But in this future, it's sort of implied based on just the salary that Johnny Phoenix has. He's the star player of $300 million a year salary. The XFL has to have overtaken the NFL of in this timeline. Well, I think the inflation on everything, the cost is like by 100 you know, based on what you have. But regardless... He just makes 75 k a year regardless, in, in, you, under inflation. You have the XFL, you have the star player getting injured... Uh, in a way that it would destroys his career, and you find out that Michael Rooker is the uh, is the Richter stand-in. Rooker equals Richter in this, um, and he kills him, and he's like, "It's okay, we can clone another one." And there's your there's your entrance, and then the most late '90s thing you can possibly do in a near future: Arnold and Michael Rappaport, my least favorite actor ever. Um, run the extreme charters and they have these helicopters that are also like jet fighters and they're awesome. This, Those things are pretty this, fucking this cool. This part of the movie, they the, the effects on them are not great when they're, you're, you're seeing them sort of composite over but, actually like But le- the design shots. is totally on point. The yes. design is great. Then it makes, it is extreme. I would totally want to go for a ride in one of those. That they do look really, they kind of do this. You remember the cartoon mask from the eighties? Yes. The yeah. bad guy had a jet that did that. It was a helicopter that would become a jet with almost the exact same transformation. Oh man! So I didn't know it was that much of a ripoff. It wasn't it a, was. a ripoff. It's just it's realized on film. There's no reason to do a mask <laughs> movie anymore now. But it, it is a really cool uh, design. I think there's a lot of world building I like in this. Even though uh, in this future they have nacho cheese flavored bananas, <laughs> which just proves I'll, that we're in a dark timeline. I'll, I'll always choose the nacho flavored banana over the regular flavored banana. I don't know what Arnold is doing in this movie. I just the fact that they bought it, they owned a nacho flavored banana, and I'm just like, <laughs> why would you want nacho cheese with that texture? Period. It's you buy you buy weird flavored stuff to get the kids to eat their fruits and vegetables. It's true, so that's the answer. That's exactly right. But they do have a couple things. in this movie that I kind of like this is a movie that has the balls to make predictions about future tech and I kind of I wrote down a couple of the predictions that I really liked oh go for it the self-driving car yes obviously the smart fridge yes 
And by the way, the smart fridge, which betrays you in the end, this, yeah. is, this, is, this is a for every Internet of Things device you own in your home audience, know that in the end it will betray you to the bad guys. It's the Skynet starts with your double crossing <laughs> fridge, yeah. and, and the third is the the lifelike child doll. Oh, yo, which, Jesus Christ, which, Quato doll. Which only the only thing it gets wrong about that is the target market for it <laughs> oh no. oh oh gross no. that's, oh i'm gonna really, feel worse about this really morning thinking we about to, it we need to talk about quato doll at like some who, point. who sees a grown man carrying that doll and doesn't have questions okay did they did they just take quato from total recall and put a put hair on it because the face looks distractingly like quato it look that doll looks like it killed another doll, cut off its face, and is wearing that face as a mask. It's so fucking disturbing. Okay, so the, just to get its idea in the plot, Arnold uh, goes to the shopping mall, which again, shopping malls, oh, yeah. still a massive thing. This is a projection of the 2000s into the future, that shopping malls are going to be the biggest thing ever forever. Uh, that has not turned out to be true. <laughs> uh, again, like you mentioned, the blockbuster video reference, but there is a scene where Arnold punches through a um, glass uh, window that's also doubling as a screen in a police station. There is an AOL logo near his head while he's punching it. <laughs> that's another interesting thing. So anyways, this doll, Arnold goes to the mall to get his daughter a present. She's just begging and she really, really wants this called a Simpal. And it's a doll that can be your friend, and it grows real hair, and it plays games and sings songs, and looks like it was designed by Satan. <laughs> and, oh my god. I guess, okay, they had to know, designing this movie, that this doll was creepy. That the characters act, oh, it's so realistic. But, I mean, the people making this movie had to know it was creepy, right? They could have done, like, the small wonder level of special effects and had a way better effect. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you just you get a real little girl to have some um, uh, facial applications on that make her look plasticky whenever you need her to talk. You just you just do uh, makeup on her that kind of uh, evens out her skin tone. Yeah, exactly. And then whenever Arnold needs to carry a doll around, it's just a doll. But when yeah. it sits down and has to talk, it's a real little girl. And then you can who's it, kind of acting a little bit robotic. Yeah, yeah, it's cheaper than building a creepy ass doll. And at some point, you open up like the panel that's on her on the back of her dress, and then you've got the on off <laughs> switch and the, exactly. the other little random lights and buttons that you have inside lieutenant commander data that display that you know tells the audience he's an android exactly it's so much cheaper and it would be remarkably less creepy well let me tell you they got their money's worth out of this because they keep bringing this doll back into it <laughs> like at a certain point he br you know he brings it home and that's when he f sees his clone and at that, at that very moment the bad guys are looking to take him out because they don't want you know uh, that this is this is the big this is the big idea of this movie is that you can't have clones running around for too long because it gives up the game and so at the at the that start you have Michael Rooker with his sort of team of hitmen starring Terry Crews of all people and the the other guy with the eyebrow ring who I thought was Stephen Dorff for the entire movie but it's not Stephen Dorff it's not uh, Deacon Frost from Blade it's not that guy that guy is the most incompetent henchman yeah, I've seen in a, in a movie where henchmen <laughs> by their nature are fairly well, I, incompetent not, not to get ahead of us but I love that by the end of the movie they're like that he kills him he kills his own henchman and he's like don't even bother cloning him we're, <laughs> yes. we're done <laughs> over the course of this movie he kills his friends twice and they have to be cloned um, he and this is he shoots um, one of them in the neck, and then he accidentally kills the main boss of the video game. His Mister Drucker, <laughs> the evil corporate overlord, hits him in the stomach while trying to hit Arnold. 
And yeah, I love that. He just shoots him and goes, yeah, don't. <laughs> <laughs> they do say at one point it costs like $1.2 million every time he reclones one of his henchmen. So imagine how much money they've spent on that dude. Well, you're also put that into the context that they're paying their star athlete $300 million yeah, a year. Yeah. Or that a taxi like, ride across town is $330. Oh, so that, yeah, I think there's a so, factor of 10 that we're not calculating. Yeah, so, and so, yeah, the the amount that it costs to clone somebody it seems actually shockingly low in context. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why these guys are so bad at their job. So did you guys also catch, because I didn't get this on the first try, smoking is illegal in the future. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they were kind of going for the sort of Cuban cigar thing, but right. it's all cigars. So they have to sort of, it's like a secret present that he gets from his wife on his birthday. And Arnold's like horrified that this clone is smoking my stogies. But also, isn't it, is it, a little strange. Uh, this is the thing that I have written down here. Do you think it was Arnold's idea that for the foreplay of when this the, this couple is supposed to have sex, that it involves a cigar? Like, I feel like this is something. Are that you Arnold... asking if Bill Clinton did a pass on this script? <laughs> yes. I'm just yeah. He's the second most notable person. Yeah, has he, you don't know this, but uh, Bill Clinton was not only the 42nd president. He's also punches up screenplays and makes them creepier. <laughs> he probably came up with a doll. <laughs> oh, jeez, oh. those fucking dolls. Okay, there are two things in this movie that if I hadn't seen the trailers before and knew this was a movie about Arnold being cloned. Two things in this movie that I think could have been on-ramps to horror movies that never really kick off. One of them is that doll, because I don't care how much... I don't have kids. I don't know what this is like. I don't know what this pressure is like of a kid desperately wanting a toy. But I could never, no matter the tears, no matter the pleading, I could never buy this toy for a child because I am convinced that if I fall asleep with this thing in the house, that it will kill me. <laughs> and the other one is repets. Repets, it feels like we might be going down the path to a pet cemetery situation here where uh, people who lose their pets as Arnold's dog dies early in this movie, I guess they took it to a vet and call his wife calls him when he's at work and tells him that I thought they were going to explore that more because yeah. I thought that the pet, the pet, the, the vet is probably owned by the same guy who owns a repet. Yeah. So he's killing off dogs and then selling you their clones. Exactly. It's, it's like Drucker, but they never really, they never went down that rabbit hole. So th this, this is my, the biggest critique of my movie, the, uh, this I have of this movie is how much of the rabbit hole they want us to go down and how much of the fucking dialogue is all like, but he needs to get my sync core and he needs to be here. Like, all of the time that this movie has to stop and have actors explaining, like, the process of, this guy was just, oh, I've been cloned four times. Oh, you, we've been all been dead before. Like, and they'll just have this time that I, it doesn't, it stops the movie dead in its tracks to talk about, like, the, the silly mechanics of, like, who's cloned, how are they cloning, what's the, what do they got to do next to clone. It doesn't help the action. Most of the audience is already confused and doesn't care about, like, the bad guy assassin team and what's going on with their clones or whatever it's so needlessly spaghetti complicated that i think it completely destroys the this movie it completely destroys the plot in this movie and not to, to give up my answers at the end of this episode but this is kind of my big problem with this movie is there's kind of two different paths it can go down you can go down sort of a paul verhoven robocop um 
Total Recall movie, or you can go down the path of something like, say, you know, Ex Machina or Blade Runner on the other hand, which is one of them is sort of a contemplative, you know, harder sci-fi version of looking at these issues and really grinding your, your teeth together, trying to figure out who is and isn't a human, do clones have souls, all that sort of stuff. And on the other hand, that stuff is still there, but you're really just there to see Arnold tear these guys apart. And that movie never, you know, successfully or satisfactorily gives you either one of those things. No. Well, it's it's not trying to be Blade Runner. It is trying to be Total Recall. The thing that Total Recall and Blade Runner both do exceptionally well, though, is they ask that question and they create this ambiguity. And Blade Runner is it's is Decker a replicant or is he not? Yeah. And that's a lingering question that sort of drives interest in that movie. And in Total Recall, it's. You know, is he still in his dreams or is he really living out this fantasy? Um, is it a fantasy or is he really living out this this plot of the movie? And um, both of those are never quite answered in the movie. And even if they were answered, it's still a, a question that kind of drives the plot forward. In this movie, Arnold is comes face to face with his clone and it's just taken for granted that that's the clone until that's subverted at the end that it's not. And there's never any of this lingering question of, is he the clone, is he not? Is that clone human or is it not? Does it have rights? Doesn't it? Does it not have rights? It's, we know that we know that this is the clone until we don't. Mm-hmm. And it, it just totally, it takes this premise that could lead to some interesting introspection and drama and just completely discards it. Yeah, I mean, well, they have, they have I, I felt they had one good sci-fi idea based on the question of clones is, like, the idea that, of, uh, so the, the big evil boss, Drucker, um, Tony Goldwyn, who, yeah, Tony to Goldwyn. my knowledge, has never played a good guy. No, he played Tarzan in the Tarzan movie. What? He played he Tarzan? The voice of Tarzan in Disney's animated Tarzan. Holy yeah. shit. Um, okay, so Drucker. Drucker who, by is the killed. way, is dressed like Steve Jobs. Is there is no question. Very much a Steve Jobs. Um, he's killed bef- uh, before this story starts, and you find out later that, oh, he's a clone, and uh, that's why it's so sensitive, because if he were found out to be a clone, then clones don't can't own property don't have rights and so therefore he would lose his entire fortune and i was like okay well there's the big sci-fi idea right is like was like oh well if you have clones like what what does it mean for the that person is it a person does it have rights is there a person who described to something that later in the movie you find out can exist at the same time as this predecessor which is really the fucking true horror yeah. of the of the the true horror of this movie is to be a clone and then see, and then realizing, oh, that person is still me, and the the continuity of the person who's dying is not the same person. Yeah, that for the most part, when these clones are around, the new one doesn't pop out until the old one is killed in some way. Like with the henchmen, it's kind of an ongoing joke in this movie that Arnold kills the same people a couple times, especially uh, the guy Wiley, who's the incompetent henchman, not Stephen Dorff, not Stephen Dorff. Yes, but he kills him at one point by running him over with a car. Uh, he kills him again by snapping his neck in classic <laughs> Arnold fashion. And, you know, he need that's again, this movie needed to have way more killing, especially of that guy. That guy needed to come back at least three or four more times to make that joke truly funny. You have to get through the point where it gets old to the point where it becomes funny again, where they see each other across the room and they're both like, oh, God, no. <laughs> if you're trying to make a comedy, yeah, but I don't I, I feel like they they have this pre- premise about cloning and instead of going deeper into it and being more introspective about it, like total recall might've done. Yeah. Um, they, they just went surface level and they completely 
overuse that premise mm-hmm. by by continually doing the same thing over and over again. And it's like we get that. It was as if Total Recall is, is he's just constantly experiencing a new dream and a new dream and a new dream, and it and never really going down the rabbit hole of well the the one event drives the plot of the movie. Now it's multiple events and multiple clonings, and it's it's it just it's just over it's overdone. It's, it becomes completely inconceivable that all of these clones could be out there walking around and not have been known. Well, yeah, th- that was my, my thing that I wrote down was it's like the moon landing hoax, which is like for you to accept the idea that landing on the moon was a hoax, you would have had to have had thousands of people who worked on the Apollo program to be bribed or silenced in some way to make it so it never came out that someone who has worked on that huge project in this case, like how could you, how could of the hundreds of people who work inside that building, only one person needs to be like, mm, I got pictures here. That one security that guy that Arnold kidnaps at the end seems to be aware of that room. And he says, they'll kill you if you find out about this. And he's like, Oh, they're already trying. But that security guy that he had grabbed at apparently random was in on the secret. So who knows how far he knew? He knew they were cloning humans. I don't know if he knew that Drucker was a clone, but he cl- he knew they were breaking the law in that mm-hmm. room and that they it's death to see that room. So he's at the top level of security. Um, how many people know as much as that random security guard who doesn't get a name? Yeah. And it, it's also, it's, it is just like the Manhattan Project in that respect, which is this couldn't exist without some knowledge of the most powerful people in the government. It's not, it's not possible for the Speaker of the House to be brought up into Drucker's office and to be like, oh, wait, you can clone my son? Oh, like, no. The people in the government know. what They, they would have to know. So it's part of... The, well, they'd be the, doing it. Yes, exactly right. They would be... The, it would already be weaponized, you know. Yeah, we'd... we'd make a bu- I mean, why wouldn't you make a bunch of Arnold for the Rainforest Wars or whatever he fought in? <laughs> oh, my God. Then you can make a bunch of them that make thermos bombs. Okay, so this is the... So they, this, they only really mention the fact that he was... That Arnold was a member in the army during the Rainforest Wars. But what doesn't track... What, what Total Recall does well and this doesn't track is... So in Total Recall... Um, he goes to recall and he comes out and suddenly, uh, when he gets cornered by his coworker with a jackhammer to kill him, he like murders four people right away. And he's like, how did I, was, was I able to do this? And that sort of sparks the, okay, well we give Arnold the reason to be the kind of badass that Arnold is because he must either have secret spy training and he's awesome or he, or he's in his dream in this. Why is Arnold automatically like, a fucking monster killer who, like, when he when he like runs over Wiley, he goes, "Yes, yeah." I like, was about why? To say that. Why does he? He's. It's like before he's in a in he's Arnold in some type of movie, and then after this point, he's Arnold in an Arnold movie, and I can't square yeah. him being the the suburban dad in one, and then him being a super spy, basically. That he's a next. charter pilot who, on a dime, is able to kill without remorse and right. kind of enjoy it. Yeah. And it, it doesn't feel like that's a big moment. I mean, that's I, true. I want Arnold to run over people and say yes. I just don't think it's earned. I mean, it, it wouldn't it be hard like... to shoehorn in a mention of a military backstory. No, he, I mean, yeah. he, he, he ostensibly was. He says, I was in the Rainforest Wars. Oh, okay. Well, but then that then doesn't, tra- to me, it doesn't track. That Rainforest Wars line is. is just there to explain how he can build that bomb with his other self. Right. Okay. Well, it's there to explain that. It's there to explain how he's able to pilot these 
these, uh, you know, craft these helicopters so easily. And then it explains his his uh, aptitude for violence. Yeah, and he has an aptitude for violence, but not enough of one for my satisfaction. <laughs> um, again, it's it's pulling in those two different directions, and it wants to be both of those movies. I mean, the movie opens with a Bible quote, and. I always kind of go mm, when I see that because I'm like, well, if the, a movie, whole, the title of the film is part of that Bible quote. quote. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But what I, I cringe because I think, okay, it opens with a Bible quote, a Shakespeare quote, a Nietzsche quote. And I'm like, <laughs> is this a dumb movie dressing up like a smart movie and failing? Because that's usually what happens. You, you put that quote at the beginning to go, oh, this is going to melt my brain. And then it never does. <laughs> um, so I kind of, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a thing you can do in a movie that immediately lowers my expectations. When I mean, as soon as I see that quote, there's very few movies that ever ever blow me out of the water, or at least are really good when you start with that quote because it's trying to set a tone that it can, it's as uh, the great uh, Jim Ross says, it's writing a check that it's ass can't cash. <laughs> and I think it goes beyond that. And it's a movie about you know trying to be a movie about man playing God and creating creating life and they named the main character Adam which I, know. I think is a bit a bit on the nose <laughs> a right a bit on the nose <laughs> and it's and it's, it's already a, an actor who has played a character in the movie End of Days named Jericho Kane <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's it's yeah they 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 hit it really hard by the way did you notice the bad guys uh, Drucker's corporate headquarters is shaped like a giant 6 what I, oh. I was wondering if you guys recognize that building no, that's the Vancouver Public Library, oh. and the the Central Library in downtown. And I've got a list of some of the other films and TV shows that that building has been featured in. Oh, like what? It's been in The Flash. It's been in Arrow. It's been in Psych, Smallville, Supergirl, Fringe, Battlestar Galactica, and Caprica, Stargate SG One, Battle in Seattle, Mister Magoo, <laughs> The Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus. And Ballistics X versus Sever. Oh, Jesus. Oh, the wow. worst movie ever made. Uh, I'm not surprised. It definitely seems like we're on planet British Columbia uh, in this movie for sure. Um, I will say w- the one thing I think that completely fails about this movie, of uh, the things that I think make it actually insufferable, is that the back maybe two thirds of this movie take place in that stupid fucking building. And I don't, you don't know, know anything about its geography well enough. And you actually don't care about it being. The, you have no reason to care about it being that building because nothing interesting is happening other than the fact that they've got some of those clone tanks there. But you spend like 50 fucking minutes of this movie in uh, in that building. I and I hate it. Gotta say, I do like that set, though. It, I just wish better stuff was happening it's, in it's it. It's a cool-looking building. It's this sort of modern building that has a that kind of echoes Greece and Greek and Roman architecture. It's sort of round, it's rounded, sort of Colosseum-like. And it's a really great backdrop, which is why it's been used in all these other movies and but, TV but shows. Then you, but then we get inside the building because you see it at the like the party, right? And you that's that's where you see the outside of it. And that should and then be you get one. Inside that should be one scene. It should be one scene. But you get inside, and it's like seven different buildings or locations or sets, and it doesn't. They don't seem like there are places where there's offices, and there are places where the lab is, and it doesn't seem like it's even the same place. Like I don't even have a, sen- a cohesive sense of what it's supposed to be like. I was trying and to it's where out- most of the movie takes place. 
I was lost on whether the laboratory was in a basement level or at the top of the building, because there's one point where they go yes. into an elevator and they're going down and end up in the laboratory. And then they go right from the laboratory to the helipad at the end of the movie. And I'm like, is this just a really tall laboratory? <laughs> it's, well, it seems like this building that is about the size of a city block, which ultimately isn't that big. And... The super secret cloning operation takes place right in the middle of the building <laughs> yeah. at about ground floor. With the big windows. <laughs> Which is like, like, is that a like tank big full of picture, clones? Yeah, big picture windows. <laughs> it's, I was, again, that just throws me off and I'm like, where is this in the building? It's like it's like you watch enough Star Trek, you know where the bridge is on the ship, but I have no idea where this, this room is. And apparently you can just go a couple stair levels and you're immediately on the roof and then you just... But I went down. <laughs> I don't understand. Um, I, I I will ask one question because I know that we are all people who have pets and repet is sort of a plot element that never really totally gets going in this movie. Would you guys ever clone your pet if you lost them? No. Nah. No, but I feel like I know people who would. I, I feel like I know people who would too. And I, I mean, it feels like it more hints at the, the themes. I mean, Pet Cemetery did this way better. I mean, it's again the question of, and they do this with the, the character that um, Robert Duvall plays, where he can't afford, he can't handle losing his wife, so he has her cloned. I was disappointed at how little Robert Duvall had to do with what the, the plot whatsoever. What the fuck is he doing why in was, this movie? Why is he even there? Why is he in this movie? Well, the answer to that question is always a truck of cash backed <laughs> up to somebody's house. But he, he doesn't impact the plot at all. No. I think he's kind of there as a garnish to make it more prestigious. And you're like, that guy was in The Godfather. Uh, and all this stuff with his dying wife just does not work. There's... There's nothing about the, the sort of heartfelt moments in this movie that actually land at all, the, the dying wife. I mean, we're always comparing this to Total Recall. The great part about Total Recall is that it never has any attempt at wanting to be sentimental at mm -hmm. all. And it doesn't matter because it's this heightened fuck you universe, as we asshole universe, as we like to call it. And trying to shoehorn like, oh, uh, you know... The best Weir, who is Robert Duvall's character, who's the scientist who, you know, figured out cloning, like, oh, he gets regretful at the end because he wanted to clone his wife but realizes that he did wrong and then he's going to frame Drucker or whatever. Like, it doesn't change the story at all. There's... It doesn't matter to the plot if he is excised entirely. If it's just, if Drucker is like Lex Luthor. You can just make him a scientist. Yeah, and he's a genius because, oh, I'm the president. And Why I'm also is he the not just the it. evil scientist? Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. the owner and then somebody, he has to con, some, you know, essentially blackmail this other guy to be the scientist. Why does that have to be two different characters? It doesn't make doesn't make any sense i actually guessed the reveal of this movie wrong about why they killed arnold or you know arnold because it was really michael rapaport in the helicopter why did this all thing happen i thought this was going to be part of the nda they made him sign at the beginning that maybe he overheard something while piloting michael rapaport heard some sort of insider trading news yeah the fact or that they evidence bothered. of a crime and that they killed him and sent him back with that earlier memories been, that would have been more interesting what yeah, yeah the fact that they bothered to include that line that the guy tells him like you might overhear him business negotiations or something i'm like well they bothered to say it they didn't even need to add that dialogue in there i thought that's where they were going where just like like this guy regularly kills his limo drivers <laughs> so that he can feel safe saying whatever on his cell phone i thought that would have been a really cool way to do it like you signed an nda and it's like when you sign up for those like uh user agreements on software and you're just like click the button at the bottom i think that arnold did that by signing that form and of like yeah we could murder you <laughs> so so 
I'm confused about this. And so he knows he's going to take a helicopter flight. The rich guy does. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the character's name. Drucker. Drucker. So yeah. Drucker knows he's going to take this flight. Um, does he know he's going to get killed on the flight? Or does he just take this precaution of getting everyone around him uh, sim-coded so that in case he gets killed, he can clone everybody who was there with him? I think that's it. I think that's it, but it's also yeah. really badly planned because he didn't do the same level of security for the snowboarders that are on top of that mountain. Because it was one of the snowboarder guys that shoots him. He's like the underground sort of fundamentalist, anti-clone Anti-cloning activist. fundamentalists. Yeah. Oh and, man, those are those are really the rough kind of fundamentalists. Yeah, so that guy shows up and just walks right up to the place where the helicopter's landing and just starts shooting people one by one like the Terminator at the police station. Um like he's he has god mode turned on. <laughs> but if this is a guy who takes blood DNA tests and gets ready to clone everyone in the possible thing so he can cover anything up, wouldn't that same level of security be set up wherever this guy goes like he's the president? Yeah, like, like Secret Service. Yeah. Um, I knew somebody, I think I met the mayor of Pacific Washington years ago, and he mentioned a time like President Bill Clinton came to his town, and the setup that the Secret Service did for just him walking through the town involved like bolting down the sewer lids and just like everything, like insane levels of prep. And a guy who does this level of prep would have probably already taken care of anyone near him. This is not having the stupid proles are not going to walk up to me and ask for my autograph. Maybe I'll be polite to the pilot, but I don't want to talk to any fucking pores when I'm up on the top of that <laughs> island, you know, on top of that mountain. That feels like a guy who would do that, where it would have been easier if it was a security guy in his own detail who killed him. Yeah, it seems pretty incompetent, too, because there, Michael Rappaport basically swaps out and says don't worry they didn't they didn't catch our faces or anything so they won't know who's who and basically impersonates arnold to fly drucker up there and which ends up i guess spitting this whole thing they killed the wrong guy they killed the wrong guy but they cloned the guy with a name label and the different one security is so bad that they just don't have a picture of these people even though they have a brain scan that includes their entire consciousness if you've worked in an office building with any kind of security (laughs) your lanyard has a picture on it well and they they killed Michael Rappaport's character, and then they knew to clone him, but they didn't all they didn't know also not to clone Arnold. Yeah. So how did they find out to clone this guy without did, also it, knowing to clone? None of that makes any sense. Yeah, it's oh, I, I will say there's a couple things. I was this, relieved when Michael Rappaport was killed. Yes, me too. <laughs> and then, he, then he showed up again. I was like, well, why did they clone him? They thought Arnold was the one who was killed. Why did they clone Michael Rappaport? Why does he have to still be in this movie? You'd think the minute they cloned him, they saw that he wasn't the guy. That they're like, oh my god, we just cloned a giant Austrian. This is not Michael Rappaport, and they still put him in a cab. Either that or there's just no communication. There's too many people involved in this illegal human cloning thing that Drucker's like, that's not my pilot. That's like, a, you know, it's it's there's a lot of problems like that. And it's like, again, the same thing with making the assassin part of the security detail. There are ways to fix this story. And they're usually pretty easy making Drucker the scientist, for instance. Um, I will say this movie has one thing that I think is unprecedented. This is the 23rd movie that we have watched for this podcast with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I think it is the very first time, and you guys can double check me on this, that Arnold Schwarzenegger has fired a laser gun. Those guns. Because <laughs> mm. I, I don't think he's ever fired a, every other weapon. Total Recall's a sci-fi I, movie with bullets. Yeah, uh, the closest would be like a railgun, but that's not a laser. 
I think that my, may speak to the credit of all of those previous filmmakers right. that you don't need a corny laser gun to convey that your yeah. film is set in the future. These are like these are like if they smash together a Blade Runner pistol with a like a Star Wars like blaster, blaster right? Yeah. Because they're like streaks of green, you know, or streaks of blue or something, and they are they look like they are like exploding, so they have they have chemical propulsion, I but guess. But they also well, just sever fingers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they, sure. they seem like they cut right through anything, and they also seem pretty lethal no matter where it hits you unless it's explicitly on a limb. Then you're probably going to be okay. I do like Michael Rooker getting his foot shot off. That was pretty cool. <laughs> My mm-hmm. foot! Oh, those are brand new boots! Yeah, everyone's really super concerned with their hair and their clothing, and they're not so concerned with, you know, their brain. So did he have to I thought it was a nice touch when the... The female uh, henchman grabbed her jewelry off of her corpse. Yes, yeah. Had to pierce my ears again. I yeah. thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, like she's pissed off because she has like her hair dyed. It has a very specific kind of haircut, and it's dyed like green or something. It, except and she's for, pissed that she has to do her hair all over again. Except for not Stephen Dorff's base. They do the same thing over again, and not Stephen Dorff when he's like complaining. He's like, "Oh, my neck or my chest feels like it's ran over." And somehow, not Stephen Dorff has his. Eyebrow and ears pierced, and has his hair dyed, and has a five o'clock shadow, even though he's supposed to have just been cloned. Yeah, like what? Like you? What you went there? I mean, they they say they they do in dialogue for the female assassin. They say take the night off, get your hair done, and then come back. So they have a reason to then bring her back with the same makeup, hair and makeup. But for like for Nazi Vendorf, you're like, what? They just don't even fucking explain it. But Michael Rooker has two legs at the end of this movie. He gets his, his leg at the knee, like shot off and he's like balancing on one foot. Does that mean he had to go back to work? They killed him <laughs> and then brought him back with two yeah, legs. This, no, way. I mean, one of the things that's mentioned in the movie is that they're also, this company is also cloning organs and body parts. Okay. So it's entirely within the scope of this company's expertise to, to just sew and graft on a new leg. Because if I was like never really explained, murdered it, and brought back, it probably wouldn't bother me as much as like, oh, sorry, you lost a leg. You know, no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't want to die. Uh, you're still going to have they, that. They treat being like killed and cloned as cavalierly as they do being transported in Star Trek. Yeah. One of the, the gags I actually do really legitimately like in this is uh, when... Stephen, not not Stephen Dorff, has had his neck snapped, <laughs> and like by Arnold, pretty brutally, and it's like broken celery inside of his head, and it's just being held up. It's just broken bits of bone and meat, and um, they pick him up, and Michael Rooker has to sort of pretend, oh, oh, he's just knocked out, he's just knocked out. They can't acknowledge that they're clones to the cop, and the guy's head goes, <laughs> <laughs> and they're gonna have to print a pretend. Oh, oh, he'll be just fine in a couple minutes. And he is so fucking dead. That I actually do really like. And I, I think if you're going to go the route of Total Recall and you want it to be a little bit funny and gross, that's the that, route to That go. was the right tone. Yeah, yeah, that was fine. And I would have liked to see more of that. I think um, there was one element in this movie that um, my girlfriend Piper would be completely upset by, um, like really bothered. And I've seen this affect her in other movies, which is that Arnold has a 57 Cadillac. And that car gets destroyed. And I can just, I'm watching this movie going, oh, Piper would be upset. Uh, and I told her about it. She's like, oh, no, 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 no. And I told her about it on the phone. And he's like, oh, yeah, it gets shot with lasers. It scrapes against other cars. He drives through fences. He plows through a building. And then finally it goes off of a cliff. And she's like, I don't think I could watch that. <laughs> but it's, oh, it's great. 
But you want to know what the the most disappointing thing in this entire movie was? The thing that just bothered me, and it was right at the end of the movie. So not Stephen Dorff, uh, Wiley shoots Drucker accidentally in the stomach because he's nothing if not a fuck up. And Drucker, because these things are hyper dangerous, is dying now. He says he has 20 minutes tops before he dies. So he has to fire up the clone machine, except the action movie climax is happening in his building. So his clone comes out half finished. The easy bake clone oven doesn't cook him all the way through. And he comes out and he looks like he's made out of uncooked bread dough and he's shiny (laughs) and he's got like stringy white golem hair and his eyes are super dilated and he doesn't have an ear on one side of his head. He looks really fucking gross. There's no way his organs all work normally. You would feel it before you saw the reflection in the mirror. There was something you put. You know, you're wearing clothes, so you looked at your hands at one point, and you're like, oh, I got monster hands. Uh, I guess I'm okay with that. Um, but he ends up getting involved in the laser gunfight on the roof with the helicopters and everything. And Arnold basically scares him into jumping on the glass roof. It starts cracking under his feet, and he falls for like 20 stories to the ground. This monster guy who is half cooked, who looks like he's made out of uncooked chicken (laughs) and he just thumps on the ground. This guy should have squished big time. Yeah. (laughs) And am I alone in thinking that as soon as he was headed towards the ground, I was expecting something pop like a water balloon. Yes. (laughs) Uh, You don't even have to show it. This is the, the failure of the PG 13 rating on this specific movie that either you show it or, you know, you have to go full on RoboCop with it. You cut away and just do a, have a splash sound effect. Exactly. You have a little goo hit the wall and then you have Arnold look down and go, Oh, and make that face. But something. And some Arnold one liner. Yeah. Just some kind of line about him exploding or something like that. It's so disappointing when he just hits the ground like a fully formed guy. And I'm like, so that last, you know, it says like 85% complete. That last 15% is all aesthetics. <laughs> it's like, it's like it makes you look not gross as the last stage, but everything, you know, all your organs, your lungs, your heart, your brain, that all works perfectly fine. But it's that last bit. It's like, yeah, we make you not look like a monster last. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's the, the blank is a, like a f- mostly formed human being with all the internal structure in the right place. And it's just getting the skin tone and the face shape and the body size correct. Oh, yeah. And that's the part that got mostly finished. So yeah. so my big disappointment in this movie is, I said before, like less exposition about all the cloning and all that folder all. We don't, you don't need that to make the story good. Um, but think about it. Imagine if you had built this story around Arnold playing a badass who's then cloned another badass. So if it was like Commando, imagine if by the end of this movie, you have a setup where you basically have two Commandos just fucking kicking ass. Instead of like the weak sauce, like grandpa outfit that he's wearing the whole time where he looks like he could barely move around and he has to remote control helicopters. Imagine if it was just two fucking... Team t- tag team commando badasses tag team John Matrixes fucking like dispatching a hundred people. They really set up some stuff that they didn't pay off. No, they set yeah. up like they have the drone, the the helicopters, and there's two of them. And Arnold, it's kind of revealed early on that Arnold can wear this wristband that allows him to fly one of them and also remotely pilot the other. And he there's a throwaway line that says, "With two of these, 
I we we could fly four of these helicopters. Right. And you expect the climax of the movie is somehow going to include four helicopters. <laughs> and this is it's a Chekhov's gun that's never paid off. Oh, yeah, and they know it's not going to pay off, so why say it? Yeah. It's yeah, it's it's frustrating. Uh, that's the thing I get a lot with this movie is that every time it does something I really kind of like, it doesn't quite nail the landing on it. And it's almost like I give it credit for the thought counts rather than the execution. <laughs> like I can see I like the movie this is trying to be. So But there's but there's there's not enough conflict between the two Arnolds if you're going to have conflict between them and then they seem to team up way too easily and then there's not enough of them like actually working together that like plays off the fact that they're two of the same guy it's just like there's now there's two two heroes but they could be two completely different guys it doesn't really matter you you could have like really used that gimmick a bit more than they did it should have happened earlier in the movie then yes, if exactly you're going to make right. that so i guess that and, brings... and arnold sorry, just one other thought about that point is that the worst scenes in the movie are arnold talking to himself and i think arnold needs another good actor to play off of to really like make his own style pop and when it's just him you know, one shot of Arnold as the one as the one guy, and then the reverse shot of his clone. It's really, really not great. Those the, the performances are really, really, really wooden and like gross. I think. I think we're we're kind of getting a good summation here, so it gives yeah. us a good chance to get to our final two questions. The first one being, maybe we've answered this already, but is the sixth day a good movie? No. <laughs> I feel confident. <laughs> I it's it's. It's not. I didn't find it even particularly entertaining. I, I, it, it set up a premise that was that had some level of interesting, uh, um, you know, backstory to it, but it really just didn't really honor that premise in a way that felt compelling. It, the action in the movie is really pedestrian, and there's nothing particularly interesting about the set pieces that they have, or the fight scenes, or the um, characters aren't particularly memorable. Um, the henchmen are disposable. The even the, even <laughs> actors like Michael Rooker, who I enjoy, are just kind of going through the motions. There's not a whole lot there in the movie that I was compelled by. So when we mentioned when you mentioned earlier that this is a movie that's kind of been forgotten, I can if I wasn't doing a podcast about it, I probably would have forgotten it by now. Yeah. Um. It's. I don't hate this movie, but it's a kind of it's a kind of bad movie that isn't memorable. And you, you just said it, the question of this movie being forgotten. It it feels like I'm going to forget this pretty quickly. I owned this movie on DVD for what feels like two or three years, and I never once felt compelled to watch it. And I have to say, if I'm looking forward into the future, I don't see myself wanting to watch it, if only to maybe show Piper how creepy that fucking doll is. <laughs> but I can do that with YouTube. Yeah. I don't know if it's worth a whole movie to watch just to get that. Because I've seen other movies. We talk about, I don't want to make the glib line about cloning, but it does feel like a movie made out of a bunch of reused parts. And every one of those parts, original origin movie is better than this. Blade Runner is better than this. Total Recall is better than this. Pet Cemetery is better than this. Um, all of them do something much more interesting with what it's given and the themes that it has. And I just... You know, again, talking about it's it's failed by the, the PG-13 rating. It doesn't really, it's not, it's not smart enough to be a smart movie and it's not dumb enough to be a dumb movie. And it exists in this just gray mediocrity. And yeah, 
I'd say, eh, leaning negative. Yeah, it's not obviously clearly not sabotage. No, you know, uh, but it doesn't it doesn't reach the heights of even like a Running Man or something where there are lots of things about the lots of things about the movie that are just not done really well because of the budget or whatever. I, I the thing that I had of thinking about it was. Um, this is after End of Days, and End of Days is as before End of Days is when Arnold had his first heart replacement. So for me, it was sort of like this is the start of Arnold being the old dog, not being able to walk upstairs. It's because although you are seeing Arnold run around a little bit, it's totally clear that there are, and not just because there's he is a clone in some scenes. Um, it's totally clear that Arnold just doesn't move the same way that he had, that he is able to do before. Uh, in previous movies, and that sort of takes away the sparkle and shine of an Arnold movie if you can't see him being that panther, you know, that yeah. that, that just ba- that badass. But for all the reasons that you said too, I think it's just the the con- plot so fucking convoluted, and you and most audiences who weren't people who loved sci-fi stuff or would have just totally been lost by all the clone stuff, and would have just by the end been like, oh, there's two Arnolds, you know. So no, gotta say no. So I guess, and the next question is, is The Sixth Day a good Arnold movie? I, I was, I'm struggling with this because it is very much an Arnold movie. It's, it's not a movie that happens to feature Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's a movie that is, and it's in every sense of the word, it's an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, but it, it doesn't add anything to that, um, kind of that mythos that, 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 uh, you know, legacy of films. It's it borrows from Total Recall heavily and from other Arnold movies, um, and without really understanding what worked about any of those movies. And I don't. I mean, it's very much an Arnold movie, and it's a it's a bad Arnold movie. Yeah, I I have to say, I think you're right. I think it is an Arnold movie. I think the almost total lack of like one-liners is and the, the one-liners that you have are fall flat yeah they're they're not the, the the humor especially the humor in this movie is is mostly bad mostly falls flat um but you're right i it, it this does seem like a vehicle that was built entirely around the strengths of arnold and they you get he gets to be spect a spectacular hero um and even though i hesitate to say it i think i think it's an arnold movie uh, it's not a great Arnold movie, but I think it's an Arnold movie. I think it's a recognizably Arnold element constructed Arnold vehicle, but in a time when the special effects and the type of the type of action movies had already sort of moved beyond what Prime Arnold was used to. It's like um, it's Diet Arnold. It, it's Arnold with the flavor turned down a bit, where it doesn't quite have the full essence of what you have, but it's also Arnold is, is like 50 years old in this. So we're at the, the tail end of the golden age of Arnold. And like you mentioned, he's not as physical in this movie as you would want him to be in a movie like this. And again, it's always worth remembering that Arnold is always older in these movies than you think he is. Yeah. That he was like 30 in the first Terminator and he was 40 years old in Terminator two. And so he's hitting like 50 at this point, and we're starting to hit the point. It's like, I, I'm shocked that he does as many physical things. I wouldn't be in a movie at age 42 now with my shirt off, well, and he can still pull it off at that age. <laughs> Mike, what 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 year was Terminator 3 came out? What year was that? 2003? So that was after this one. Yeah. So, so it's funny because I also, that just like End of Days and this one, 
he doesn't take his shirt off. You don't mm-hmm. see you don't see ripped Arnold. But in Terminator Three, I don't think he was ripped at this time. I, th- I think he got back in shape for yeah. Terminator Three. Yeah, because Terminator mm-hmm. Three, they have the scene where he's in the coming out of the desert and there's glass all around, and you're like, oh wow, he's look Arnold looks great, you know. But in this, it sort of feels like modern, you know, 2020s Arnold, where he's just wearing shirts and coats over it, so you don't see of the fact that he just doesn't have the mass and he's got a lot of old man skin, you know. Uh, but in this one, I was like, oh, I, he doesn't. He looks. He does not look intimidating. You know, he's mm-hmm. tall. He has got the face. He's he turning into a dad actor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. that. That happens to everybody. It was happened hardcore to Eddie Murphy, for instance. That the thing you come to see him do, which is be funny, just isn't there anymore. And with Arnold, I want to see him do physical, crazy stuff, and he's just not doing it. Um, so maybe that that decline of the sort of physical roles that we do, you know, we want to see from him started here rather than, you know, in between the time that he became governor and left office and came back and did the last stand. Um, you know, because it was like there was a good 10-year period where he wasn't in movies, so it wasn't a gradual change. I think that this movie was a clear indicator that he had to reinvent himself. Yeah. yeah. Rather than reinventing himself as a different kind of movie star, he had reinvented himself as a politician, mm-hmm. which, you know, was a great career move for him, sure. I mean, speaking, not speaking politically about it, but it would have been interesting to see where it went and films from here. Yeah, I think it probably would have been hard to watch. I think that after 10 years, coming back makes you a nostalgic property mm-hmm. that people haven't seen you in a long time and they're excited to see you. Where if you'd been in movies for that past 10 years of declining quality. Yeah, he would have been, a, it would have been direct TV, directed to video movies. Kind of where he's at now. Yeah. But I mean, there was this age where Arnold was a very high physical, high octane action guy. And this movie is kind of slower it's not quite on a rascal scooter but it's it's definitely (laughs) not total recall yeah and you can sort of feel it i do appreciate the fact that they find a home for michael rapaport's cat at the end of the movie (laughs) orphan pets tend to get forgotten in action movies um but you know it's just a movie where you know at the end he decides to go off to argentina and be tom Riker for a while (laughs) and you know it's yeah, I don't know. I I want this movie to be more like there's like maybe one good catchphrase in the entire thing where he has the lady's severed thumb from when he shot it off with a laser and he's using it to get through security in this building and he drops it and a security guard almost sees it and he's like, oh, I dropped my pen. I'm all thumbs today. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty great line. But the rest that, of that it actually is- seemed to me more like a James Bond line than a. Than an, an Arnold, Arnold line. line. That was the weird part to me. Is I was like, I think the people who wrote this must just love Bond. Well, they wrote the other... Tomorrow Never yeah, Dies because that because that they're spy stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm just gonna say no. If I, I mean, I I have a shelf of Arnold DVDs now. I have a collection I didn't have before this podcast. And when it comes time to rewatch one, I don't think I don't think the Sixth Day is even in my top thirty of movies I want to watch. Yeah. So with that, uh, Michael Warbington from Camp Quest Northwest, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Prez. It's been fun. And if people want to find more about you, what you're doing with Camp Quest, where can they find out? Uh, visit campquestnorthwest.org. That has all of the information and, um, and point you in the right direction for volunteering with us or um, joining us at camp as a sending your camper to our summer camp. Um, camp. We're doing two camps this year. One of them is a virtual camp that's happening in July 25th through the 30th and another is in-person camp that's happening in august 15th through the 20th um 
And so you can visit campwestnorthwest.org right now to register for either their in-person or virtual camp session. Sweet. Absolutely. Thank Are you clones so allowed at Camp Quest Northwest? We, we have we have no policy uh, against them. Checking all the campers pulling their left island down. Yeah. But uh, thank you so much, Mike. We would love having you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. And a special thank you to our episode sponsor. We have 16 of them Ooh, now. Wow. And so a big special thank you to Larry Brunswick, Margaret King, Tim Batson, Dan Neidecker, Don Tuvey, Zuri Russell, Sterling Taylor, Tom the Belgian, Wim the Belgian, Misa the Barbarian, James Brucker, Gus Lindgren, Jem Newman, Carol and Dave Brulette, Kelzone, and Kalen. Welcome, Kalen. Thanks so much, guys. And thank you guys so much for supporting us. And if you want to become an episode sponsor, please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash radio versus the Martians, or click the big uh, red button at the bottom of the page on podcastalavistababy.com. Thank you, folks. Check us out on our Discord, and we will see you all next month. Podcast La Vista Baby is a production of Radio vs. the Martians and is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Val Verde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Doran and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music was written and performed by James Wetzel with opening narration by Dan Lombardo. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Dan Lombardo. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And finally, you can find us online at podcastalavistababy.com and radioversusthemartians.com. And who gets to decide who lives and who dies. You? You have a better idea? Yeah. What about God? Oh, you're one of those. I suppose you think science is inherently evil. No, I don't think science is inherently evil. But I think you are. If you believe that God created man in his own image, then you also believe that God gave man the power to understand evolution, to exploit science, to manipulate the genetic code, to do exactly what I'm doing. I'm just taking over where God left off. If you really believe that, then you should clone yourself while you're still alive. And why's that? So I can understand your unique perspective? No, so you can go fuck yourself. Mm-hmm.